0: Welcome to episode 154 of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. This show is the second episode in our three-part mini-series on lessons learned from seven-figure CPG brands. Over the course of three episodes, I'm joined by Adam Pollock of Rodeo CPG and Karen Samuelson and Allison Smith of Umai Marketing. And together, we're discussing how the most successful brands nail their operations, their retail, and their digital marketing strategies. And what you can do in your own business if you're on your way to becoming a million dollar brand. What's even more exciting is that today's episode kicks off a giveaway that we're doing for listeners of this mini series. You'll have the chance to win a one on one call with each of us at the end of this series. The giveaway is now live and you'll find the details in the show notes and outlined at the very end of this episode. You've got one week to enter, so if you're listening right when the show comes out, make sure to click through before July 21st. Today's episode, the second in our series, flips the tables a bit because I'm interviewed by Allison, Karen, and Adam, and I share my thoughts on pitching to retailers, getting buyers to care about your product line, and then selling through once you land on the shelf. In full transparency, I'm recording this intro after we recorded the episode, and I've got to say it was really fun for me to be on the other side of the mic in today's show, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Of course, each of these episodes in our mini-series build upon each other, so make sure to circle back and listen to, listen to Adam's episode on Ops from last week. I'll link it up for you guys in our show notes, as well as make sure to tune on in next week for our show on digital marketing strategies with Umai Marketing. All right, let's get right into it. I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Whiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. I've got a valuable freebie to go along with today's episode. It's my workbook on 100 wholesale buyer no's, which outlines all of the excuses that I used to give brands who weren't a great fit for our shelves back when I was a grocery buyer. This download helps you prepare for any possible no and teaches you how to change it into a yes. Find the free link in our show notes. All right, Allison, Karen, and Adam, you are back. Welcome to the Food Bizwiz podcast again. It's great to have you guys here. Great to be here.
1: You're back again.
0: You guys, we did something right in episode number one of our mini series because you've all showed up again. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for sticking it out. So for our listeners, this is episode two of our three-part series on lessons learned from seven-figure CPG brands. And in the next three episodes, over three episodes, we're discussing how the most successful brands nail their operations, their retail, and their digital marketing strategies. So last week, we heard from Adam Pollock, the VP of Marketing at Rodeo CPG, and he talked all about operations today we're going to turn our eye towards retail. So each of these three episodes in this mini series builds upon each other. So if you haven't listened to last week's show, go back now and check it out. I will link it right here in our show notes. So Adam's joining us again today, as well as Allison Smith and Karen Samuelson, the co-founders of Umai Marketing. So last episode, we did some brief intros, but for those of you who didn't catch it, I'm not going to assume that you have. Let's do our intros once again. Let's do a little bit different order this time. So Allison, I'm going to kick it off with you. Tell us what you do at Umai. And again, our off-script question... Tell me if you're a cat or a
2: dog person. Okay, I can do that. So I'm Allison. I am one of the co-founders of Umai Marketing. We are a boutique digital marketing agency for CPG brands specifically. And we also have a course where we teach our strategies to young CPG brands. And I am a dog person, no hate on cats, but I am uh, slightly allergic Um, I think cats are, they're cool, but dog person all the way. (laughs) Dog person.
0: All right. Who are you going to kick it to next?
2: Uh, Let's kick it over to Karen. Hi,
1: everyone. I am Karen, the other co-founder of Umai. We do organic social, paid social, and email marketing um, for young CPG brands. Uh, We have our agency and we also have a course where we teach these strategies and i'm a dog person it was actually on our uh job requirements on our first uh job posting that a dog you had to be a dog person which thinking about now is just so silly but <laughs> that's how much of dog people we are um but yeah how about I you adam it.
3: yeah i hate to make it 3 for 3 and be super boring here but definite dog person never had a cat don't have any intention of having a cat so yeah, um, I'm Adam. I, I head up marketing for Rodeo CPG. And we help CPG brands with uh, research and development, operations, and sales management. We do that both through services and then also through uh, technology increasingly. So we have software that helps brands sort of plan and execute their retail sales effort. Uh, and then as their marketing person, I create a lot of content like this, resources, tools, and all sorts of other things to, to help the CPG community at large. Um, yeah, that's a bit about me.
0: Awesome. And I, I'm going to be four, 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 and I am a dog person as well. And I feel like maybe this is why we all get along so well. We're just, <laughs> we're dog people here. So, I am Allie, I'm the founder and CEO of Food Biz Wiz. We help emerging CB, CPG brands understand how to get on the retail shelves and how to have high sales once you're there. We do that all through our signature program, Retail Ready. So today we're gonna talk about retail and this is kind of a funny episode for me because I'm welcoming in Karen, Elson, and Adam to ask me questions about retail. Uh, originally on the Food Business Podcast, so I'm I'm kind of excited and maybe a little bit nervous to see how this plays out. So, from a high level, I want to talk to you guys about getting on the shelf at versus getting. Off the shelf and into shoppers' baskets. In last week's episode, Adam, you talked uh, talked about how operations and sales are really, really connected here. And I'm so glad that we kicked things off with that because I think without without really dialing in our operations, without really understanding what we're making and how we're producing it and how we're working with our co-packers and partners, we're just we're just winging it when it comes to sales. So again this is a a cry for you guys to go back and listen to episode number 1 of our series if you haven't done that. So let's let's start by getting on the shelf. Are you guys ready to talk about that with me? Yes. Okay. So so often I see brands say that getting on the shelf is their end goal. So we hear things like if i can only get into whole foods or if i can only get into air one like i'm going to be good and then like momentum will build and you know sales will come. And when i was thinking about prepping for this episode i really thought about our our savvy seven figure retail ready brands who know that getting on the shelf is the first step and it's not even an easy step at that especially now but once you once you do you have this whole other set of business challenges that start to come up.
3: Yeah. So Ali, my question to you is then you've probably heard thousands, maybe millions or trillions even of brand pitches at this point um, from your time as a grocery buyer. What do you wish that brands knew about how buyers wanted to be contacted and sold to? Like what, what do brands screw up all the time when they were reaching out to buyers?
0: Yeah, this is a, a really great question. And I wonder how many brands I had pitched to me. So I'll say when I was a grocery buyer, I would get about three dozen samples, three dozen brands dropping off their samples every single week in at you know at my office or with the cashiers or things like that. And you know, that's week in and week out. So I mean just hundreds and hundreds of brands every quarter, trying to get their their products on our shelves. So with that, my number one rule, my golden rule is don't drop by. And I wish that brands knew that at the end of the day, your relationship with your retail partner is based off mutual trust and mutual understanding. I mean, Adam, it's really similar to what you were talking about in last week's episode with your co-packers and your 3PLs and things like that. So, so often brands see buyers or category managers as gatekeepers to their success and i hear that like brands can't get a hold of buyers and so they just start swinging by retail stores especially independent retailers and small chains and they try to meet with the buyer in person right they just they feel like there's no other way to get a hold of a buyer than to just swing by and here's what i wish everyone knew buyers hate that I mean, if you think about it, think about being in the middle of your workday, maybe being in the middle of a production shift or like Allison, you're like heads down and the like campaign manager and like really like in it. And someone just knocks on your door and it's like, oh, hey, can I just have a little bit of your time? Let me try to sell you something. I mean, I used to hide in the walk-in when brands would swing by buy right and I would literally do everything that I could do to avoid them. So I always like to remind that, like first off, don't swing by, don't blind ship your samples without making contact with those buyers or with those category managers before you um, don't don't blind ship those samples before you've made that initial contact because they don't like to be interrupted and they don't like to be blindsided.
3: Yeah. I have one follow-up question there. So how how should a brand go about establishing trust and building a relationship? What are some good things they can do yes. to? And I know that takes time. And I think everyone wants like a silver bullet. Like they want to be able to, they want that to happen yesterday, but yeah. assuming this takes a, a while, several months mm-hmm. to a year or whatever, what are some actionable first things someone can do to, to get going in that direction?
0: Yeah. So we'll talk about sales pitches in a second, but I think the first, the first thing is really understanding that at the end of the day, you and that retail account or that wholesale account, you both want the same thing, right? You both want high sales. You want high sales for your product, and that store wants high sales in your category. And so once you realize that you both have the same goal, you can approach that relationship with empathy and mutual understanding rather than thinking that that buyer is, like I said, the gatekeeper to your success. So Adam, we we often advise that it is as simple as picking up the phone and making a connection over the phone rather than swinging by or cold emailing or, you know, putting your products on range me and hoping that that buyer swings by your, your listed page. So we always say, pick up the phone and be a real person. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Easier said than done though. I mean, we find in retail already that people are very hesitant to pick up the phone. And then there's of course all the complications of like, Who do you know who you're calling? How do you get their phone number? What if they're a regional manager or, you know, um working in some corporate office and you can't get a hold of them on the phone? Like we have all of these different ways of getting a hold of buyers. But I think, Adam, to your your question, it's really about understanding that they are real people and think about how you as a real person want to be treated as well.
3: Makes sense. Yep.
2: Yeah, I love that you're you're basically saying don't be creepy.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Don't don't
2: be creepy. But (laughs) but I mean, cold cold calling is is terrifying. I mean, that is a really scary thing to do to call someone and you know potentially get rejected or get rejected multiple times. So so you're saying the sales pitch is what people need to focus on to improve that sales pitch. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Well, if, I mean, if that's your goal, right. And we talked a little bit about this in, in Adam's episode last week, but we need to realize that like getting more retail accounts, isn't going to magically solve all your problems here. Right. There's no like one size fits all where we, we want to say like get in more doors and your business will grow. Right. One of the things we teach inside of retail ready is the idea that at the end of the day, your velocity is more important than the amount of doors that you're in. We want to make sure that you are selling in the accounts that you're in. And if you're not selling in the accounts that you're in, don't start going and pursuing new accounts, right? Like, Don't start fixing a problem, a different problem. So Allison, back to your question about the sales pitch though, you're right. It is really scary to pick up the phone and try to sell your product to someone. That is, that is scary. But here's the thing it is so easy to ignore a sales email. And it's so easy to ignore a product that's submitted during you know, an online form through a category review. We find that the people who pick up the phone, the brands who pick up the phone are the ones who have more success creating that human connection with their potential retail partners. And so... This is something we practice a lot in Retail Ready. It's actually one of my favorite things to do. It's usually terrifying for our students, but I like put on my old like buyer role and I pretend I'm the buyer again and they themselves are trying to pitch their product to me. And I like give them every no in the book and we really role play to try to make it, you know, boost their confidence before we set them out to like go and do this. But I think, Allison, one of the most important things is recognizing why buyers bring in products in the first place. And once you know that, you can craft a pitch that's much more effective. So it's important to recognize that buyers bring in products to enhance sales or margin, something around financial goals, in your particular category. So if your product doesn't come in and increase sales or increase margin it's officially not worth it for that buyer to spend all the time and the energy and the labor and you know all of their team's energy to bring in your product line especially right now as we're seeing you know so many staff shortages and operational challenges at the the store level as well so we want to make sure that we are crafting pitches that are based off that understanding that buyers want Buyers need your product to sell, and they need to trust that your product's going to do that. So if you are crafting a pitch that is based around the idea that your product is delicious or values-driven or sustainable or female-founded or like any of these things... That misses the mark with that wholesale buyer. I mean, sure, it's great for your marketing messages, right? And like Alison and Karen, like we potentially can talk about this on on the next episode. That's great for marketing, but that category buyer doesn't actually care about the taste and the values and the you know the story behind your product.
2: So the question,
0: <sighs> Yeah, love
2: it. First I know I'm
0: sighing because it's, <laughs> people get really sad when I say this, right? And,
2: They're and, like, <laughs> and it really is, you know, the opposite when you're, it should be when you're talking yes. to consumers versus buyers. Um, but my question is, if you're a brand new brand and you don't have that existing data yeah. to, to pitch these sales numbers or uh, how are you doing that? How are you gaining like the forecasting information? Where should people be looking Help us out here?
0: Oh, that's such a great question. And Adam, I'm sure that you guys do this as well, but like there are ways that you can get data for your category that uh, you can present to those retail buyers that isn't historic data for your own brand, right? So if you're just getting going, you know, it's normal that you wouldn't have sales history, right? Like we always say this like every single brand starts at zero. Like Chobani started with zero wholesale accounts at some point. Mm-hmm. right and so it's important to realize that at some point you won't have that data so you need to figure out where else you can get it and if you don't have it for your own brand you can use it as from your category as a whole you can pull from things like spins or Nielsen data I mean oftentimes you have to purchase but there purchase it but there are also free places to get data like this um So you can present it for your category. You can present it for ingredients that you're using that's trending. You can present it, you know, let's say you are a female-owned business. You can talk about how female-owned cereal companies are on the rise year over year or something like that. We can always craft a story with the data. We just need to be willing to, like, um, put on our detective hats and, like, be a little bit witty on how we use the data.
3: Yeah. I think that's so important is like, ooh, there's a couple things in there. One uh, it's not like no one cares about what you do. They care about what you can do for them or yes. why. So all the things you mentioned, all the things that most brands mention around being low no sugar or keto or delicious, like that's what, that's not a, why that doesn't yes. help the buyers. So that that's um, super, super important. And then, yeah, remember like data is, you tell your own data story. So I looked at a deck from a new brand who has very limited retail exposure, but has like phenomenal customer reviews. Yes. It has some other really, really interesting, unique data points that they're not. It's it's not here's our sell through at competitor retailers. It's this is really cool stuff that that's interesting. You probably don't have this, and so there's a, there's always a way to tell the story the way you want to tell it, and especially for brands that are launching direct to consumer. I find, and and I'm sure with my team, you can tell me I'm either right or wrong here. When it comes to social proof, the very raw like text messages, tweets, email screenshots of emails, all that stuff that looks very unadultered is is always the stuff that plays really really well. So when I, I see a deck that's got like pretty testimonials in it, I don't really trust it anymore. But when I see a deck that's got like a hundred screen grabs of texts from people saying this changed my life, that's the sort of thing that, in lieu of having sell through data, you could show to a buyer and they'd be pretty excited about. It, I think. Um, so I guess uh, switching gears a little bit, my My question was going to be around, so you've been hammering a buyer for many, many months and they won't respond to you, or you had a great interaction, the more frustrating situation. You had a great interaction with one and it seemed like a sure thing. And then they've vanished off the face of the earth. What do you do in that instance? What's the right right way to handle that?
0: Yeah, Adam, I hear this so often. So often brands say to me like, okay, Allie, I'm trying, I'm trying, and I'm still not getting any traction. And... I'll say like I am one of the most organized people that you will ever meet and it would still take me months and months and months to bring in new product lines. There's so many things that buyers need to do behind the scenes that vendors don't don't realize. So 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 often and I'm sure you see this too Adam that brands will reach out once, they'll reach out twice maybe and then they just let that relationship fizzle out because they don't want to be annoying to that buyer. So my advice here is to be the squeaky wheel and understand that it does take months, sometimes even a year, over a year to get your product on the retail shelf. And if you are that squeaky wheel, if you are popping into that buyer's inbox, if you are shooting them a DM, if you are connecting with them at a show, you will have much more success when it comes time to review your category again and you are top of mind for them. So Adam, I I advise, you know, depending on the relationship and there is some nuance here, but email every 2 weeks, every 3 weeks. Give them like a new press hit. Give them a like new category information. Give them a time-sensitive, seasonal, introductory offer. Give them a any reason to pay attention to your brand again. So really being the squeaky wheel is important here. And realizing that until that buyer gives you like a hard no, like, please stop contacting me, <laughs> you have my full permission to keep showing up in their inbox. So that's number one. That's yeah, super
1: great advice too. To deliver something of value, don't just be like, "Hey, reminder just coming to the top of your inbox to yeah. check in on where we are." It's like, no, g- deliver deliver something of value to them yeah. to make them want to bring you on shelf.
0: Totally. It it goes back to the that trust factor, Karen. Right, that idea that like that give them another reason to trust that you're going to sell through on their shelves. So let's talk about selling off shelves. All right. So every product, I promised that this was going to be two parts on the podcast here. So you get on the shelf. Okay. Wonderful. But then every product has to perform its job on the shelf. And it is, I'm going to talk like directly to our listeners here. It is your responsibility to make that happen. So I like to think about shelf space as real estate and you are renting this space from the retailer, you've got to be a really great tenant in order for them to keep you around. So you have to be the person who's responsible for increasing velocity, hitting your sales goals, and succeeding in those wholesale accounts. And so it comes as a shock sometimes to... To the brands that we work with, that it's not the store's responsibility to sell your product. It's not the category manager's responsibility to sell your product, right? It's not anyone's responsibility except for you as the brand. So maybe we should talk about some of the things that brands need to need to do to make that happen. What do you think?
1: Yeah, let's do it. So if you're trying to trying to get off the shelf, you're doing everything you think is right, um, but it's just not happening, uh, where should a brand start with trying to get those sales?
0: Yeah. So it is, it's actually so similar to what Adam was saying. I know I keep re- referring to this, but in our episode last week, this idea that it starts with a plan. And I know that that seems like I'm oversimplifying it, but so often we just we see brands that are just winging it here. And I see, I look over and like, if you guys are listening, you're probably not watching this recording, but literally everyone's nodding their heads. Like Adam, I'm sure you see it with your rodeo clients, Karen and Alison, I'm sure you see brands who are just winging it. So I would invite our listeners, if you feel like you're just throwing ideas against the wall and seeing what sticks, it is time to pare down and make sure that you have a plan in place, right? So we start to think about it when considering what your plan is going to be, we take into account a few things, such as your own skill set and your strengths around marketing, right? Whether you can DIY it yourself internally, or if you need to hire it out, we think about your own capacity as a founder, right? Are you a sole founder or do you have a team? We think about how much cash you have on hand. Again, Adam touched on that last week. If you're bootstrapping your brand or if you have investment to back yourself up on shelf. So first, we think about like what is, what are your capabilities and what are your capacities as a founder and as a brand, and then we use something that we call the reorder checklist inside of Retail Ready. And we make sure that your plan is documented and replicable for each new account that you bring on. Of course, we tweak it for each new account, but we want to make sure that you understand how you are communicating to every person along the supply chain, right? Your co-packers, your 3PLs, your distributors, your brokers, and your retail partners, your marketing team, if they're external or internal, frankly, making sure that you can communicate that plan to every person along the chain so that everyone knows their piece in executing it and that you do it to every single new account. So, so often the mistake I see here is that you land a new account and then you have no plan for selling through, and so it simply comes back to creating a plan, documenting it, and trialing it with each new account.
3: Yeah, I love that. We talk a lot about like creating a business case. So especially like in the mm. early days, if you're in your first re- like few retailers, all that's like learning, and you're trying to figure out yeah. like, okay, it's going to take me this long to open the account. It's going to cost this much amount of money in demos and promotions and stuff to get things to move. I'm going to have to be in once every week to make it happen. And then, you know, after you do 20 of those, you've hopefully got a document and you've got a very viable plan around like, it takes me X amount of dollars and X amount of time to break even on a retailer. So if I think that's going to happen for this one, great, let's do it. And if not, nope, not the right retailer for me. So I think that's, it's, it's so important because it's, this stuff can be very copy pasteable once you've done it a handful of times, but most brands kind of think about like, oh, each retailer is unique. And yeah, to a, to a degree, but not 100% of the time each time, maybe 10% of the time. So that plan piece is, is so important. And the, wh- where I was going to go next was just, okay, so you've got your plan, you've got your strategy in place, you, you're, you've got marching orders, and it's clear what you need to do. You're on the shelf. Like, What are some tactics that brands can use to, to execute on that strategy and to, to actually move product off the shelf?
0: Yeah. So it totally depends on the channel and the account. And I hate to say that, you know, it depends, but that's almost always my answer with brands inside of retail ready. Like it depends. There is no one size fits all strategy here. Right. So it depends on the channel and the account. So if online, right, like let's say you are pursuing online wholesale accounts like the thrive markets of the world you might start doing some paid ad campaigns which we might talk about next week you might build out your digital swipe files that you send to each new accounts that have your assets and you know how like recipe like digital recipes and like marketing digital marketing collateral you would lead, you might lean heavily on connecting with your online audience to drive trial in that online retailer. You would likely roll out an introductory offer or some sort of promotional period right when you land that retailer, You know, in, in normal terms, like you would do a sale, right? Or an, um, a discount at the beginning. And if it's a brick and mortar store, you might lean into geo-targeted ads, driving traffic to that particular physical store. You might invest in Instacart ads. You would create a plan for staff education, making sure that you turn all of those stockers and people who touch your product into mini sales people for your brand. If it's a smaller store, you might create shelf talkers and make sure that they get hung up. You might do in-store promotion. You might run demos. You know There are many, many different ways that you can drive trial and drive repeat purchasers. And I think purchases, and I think so often we overcomplicate it here. We're like, I have no idea how I can possibly sell off the shelf. But if you sit down and just bullet point out, like, what are some of the ways that you can connect with the store and connect with your consumers? I think our listeners would be surprised at how much of it they already know that they can do.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important to remember that like connection is so vital in every stage. Like Adam, you were talking about it with your operations partners. Mm. Al, you're talking about it with your retail partners. We obviously talk about it with your customers. So I I love to hear that advice from you. So where do you see most brands getting stuck when they do try and increase velocity?
0: Hmm. So, we alluded to it last week, but the the very first one is going too far, too fast, too wide. <laughs> and so often we see brands. I'll just give an example here. We have a brand on the East Coast inside of retail Ready, and sure enough, Erwan, our favorite retailer, reached out to them and said, "Hey, you know we'd love to we'd love to carry your ice cream." And they're on the East Coast, right? And they don't have distribution on the West Coast. They don't have a broker. They don't have a 3PL on the West Coast. They have nothing there, right? Like they are primarily like focused on New England. And they said yes to Erwan. They were like, oh yeah, hell yes. Like that. This is a dream account for us. Like that's the gold standard. And they got on shelf and they realized, or they got that first PL or whatever it was. And they realized that they had no understanding and no way of fulfilling those orders. Like you can't just, I mean, you can just ship ice cream cross country with dry ice, but it's going to be really freaking expensive. And you're going to lose money on every single (laughs) uh, delivery, every shipment that you make. So, so often I see brands who get really excited about opening new accounts without realizing the impact that it's going to have on their operations and on their sales teams, so I think that's the biggest thing we see people try to go too too wide too fast. Um, I'd much rather see a brand really really penetrate their own region and really drive sales in their own backyard before expanding. So that's the first one, and then I'll I'll give one one more. Is we we talked about this a little bit, but this idea of just winging it with each new account, whether you're winging it in your sales pitches or you're winging it once you're on the shelf. And when I say that, it's really thinking about thinking that you have to recreate the, the wheel with each new account and not prioritizing creating systems and measuring the, uh, the results that you're getting from your systems, right? Just just winging it is not the way to run a business. Actually, I actually have a quote around that. Can I, I know Adam shared a quote in our last episode. So I, I brought one to today. Can I, can I share it as well? Hear it. Okay, cool. It's my favorite. I've said it on the podcast before. So it is by James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits. And he says, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And when I heard that, it just like shot me in the heart. I was like, (laughs) oh, he was talking to us here at Food Biz Whiz. Like we are lovers of systems and yet we, lovers of goals too, but like, yet we still have so much room for growth around the systems that get us to our goals. Thinking that, you know, most of the founders that we work with, I'm sure all of you guys on this podcast with me can agree. Most of the founders that we work with have really similar goals. Right It's to create sustainable, profitable businesses. But if we all have the same goal, that goal isn't enough. We have to invest in the systems that are going to get us closer to those goals.
2: Mm. Love it. love a good system. Um, and Ali, thank you so much for bringing the knowledge on this episode. Um, I love how you're tying things back to what Adam talked about last week because y'all were talking ops. Retail, digital marketing, it all needs to work together to make everything work. So Ali, what's an action task that you can leave listeners to do this week before they join us on the third and final episode on marketing? I've got two. So just like
0: we split up this episode, on getting on the shelf and then getting off the shelf, I'll give two actions here. The first one for getting on the shelf is a freebie that we've got. It's called our 100 Buyer Knows Cheat Sheet. And it is 100 different reasons that I used to say no to product lines when I would get sales pitches when I was a buyer, plus some training on how to shift that no into a yes. So I'll link that in our show notes. You can just find it at aliball.com slash 100. So I would say download that and work through it. It's a really easy, easy work through. And then the second one is I want our listeners to start thinking about creating their own reorder checklist. And that really is the outline of the plan, what you're going to do with every single new wholesale account that you land to make sure that you are putting that system in place to get the reorder each time. How's that sound?
2: Oh, sounds great.
0: All right. Okay. So with that again, this is where I said it was going to sound funny. I'm going to thank you guys for coming on the show and, and asking me questions around retail. It like truly, truly was a pleasure for me to sit on this side of the mic and, and, um, field your questions. So before I let you guys go, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? We will put all of this in the show notes as well. Um, Adam, how about you go first?
3: Sure. Yeah, you can find us at rodeocpg.com, um, and then I um, we have some free tools at rodeocpg.io as well. Uh, if you want to check those out, and then we're on social media at rodeocpg, and my email is adam at rodeocpg.com. Awesome.
0: All right, Karen and Allison, where can we find you guys? You
1: can find us at umaimarketing.com. Umai is U M A I. Um, and we have a free mini course that walks you through some digital marketing strategies to help grow your brand. And that's umaimarketingcom slash mini course. And we're also all over social. So at umaimarketing, come chat with us, hang with us. Um, and you can email us at hello at uh, And we hope to
0: see you somewhere over there. Yeah. You know, we didn't do this last time, but I'm going to throw it out there to our listeners that if they are listening right now, I want you guys to snap a screenshot of this podcast episode and post it on your socials and tag all three of our businesses. We would love to give you a follow right back and we would love to share it as well. So you guys, you know, you can find me at foodbizwiz.com or on socials at It's alley Ball. All right, you guys. There, that's it for episode two. Next week, we're going to come back and we're going to give Karen and Allison the stage. And we are going to talk about digital marketing, which I know is a big topic for all of you. All right, thanks for joining me, you guys. Bye. This episode is supported by my free workbook on 100 wholesale buyer no's. Why would you want a list of 100 heartbreaking reasons why a buyer says no to your product line? Or frankly, why they never call you back in the first place? Well, when you anticipate the no, you can prepare your rebuttal, and that's exactly what I'm walking you through in this free download. Find it directly in the show notes, and you are going to be one step closer to getting those wholesale buyers to trust you, trust your product line, and place a first order. Thanks for joining us for episode two of our three-part mini-series on ops, retail, and digital marketing strategies that we've helped our million-dollar brands put into place. Before you take off, I want to make sure you know that we are doing a giveaway as part of this mini-series. That's right. You can win an hour of one-on-one consulting time with Umai Marketing, Rodeo CPG, and me here at Food Wiz just by entering. I'll link up all of the giveaway details in our show notes, and you'll make sure to enter by July 21st, in order to win. So from here, join us again next week as we wrap up this mini series with a lesson on the three digital marketing pillars taught to us by Allison and Karen at Umai Marketing. They have a ton of practical steps that you can take to connect with your consumers and increase your sales. So make sure you tune on in. We'll see you right back here next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Food Biz Whiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.